And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Welcome to this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. This program is dedicated to going out to the highways and hedges and compelling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Join your host, Tony Miano, and his team of street fishermen as they find people on the streets with whom to share the gospel. No scripts, no planning, no preparation. Just impromptu gospel conversations with random people out there in a world in desperate need of the Savior. So, until the nets are full, let's go fishing. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it might be, wherever you may find yourself. Welcome to another edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. I am your host, Tony Miano, and on this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast, you are going to hear a conversation with Hassan. Uh, This is from two or three years ago. I was out crosswalking on the corner of Marquette and Locust here in Davenport, Iowa, when Hassan pulled into the Whitey's Ice Cream parking lot and stopped to talk. By his own admission, Hassan is in a crisis of faith. Raised in the Muslim religion and tradition, he walked away from that religion and is trying to find his way. Uh, That led to a one-hour dialogue with this young man on the street corner. Uh, There are a a couple of uh, points in the audio where the wind noise kind of overwhelms the dialogue, but that's only for a few seconds, uh, so I'd ask for your patience uh, in bearing with that. But other than that, uh, the audio is really easy to hear, and there is a lot <laughs> that took place in this conversation. So uh, while the conversation is an hour long, the chalk talk following won't be <laughs> won't be that long because I'm going to focus only on a, a few particular things. Uh, but I, I hope that there will be much for you to glean from this conversation in your own communication with unbelievers out on the streets or maybe even at your own dining room table. And uh, uh, during the Chalk Talk, a little later, uh, I'm going to play for you an audio from a video done by a man named David Wood, who is an apologist and really is an expert on Islam and dialoguing with those within the uh, Islamic faith. And so I think that's going to be real helpful to you as well. So we got a lot to do, a lot going on. Hey, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Just by way of reminder, would love to hear from you. Uh, email me at streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. If I answer one of your questions or uh, read your email uh, on an upcoming program, I'll send you a free copy of my book, Take Up the Shield. Would love to bless you with that. But I want to get right to it. So here is my conversation with Hassan on the corner of Marquette and Locust in Davenport, Iowa. Let's go fishing. How are you? Good. I'm Tony. Hassan. Hassan, good to meet, nice you. to meet you. Thanks for stopping. Yeah, so uh, what is Isaiah 118? 
Isaiah 118 says, um, though your, come let us reason together, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Um, what does that mean? Well, what it means is, uh, uh, the prophet is, in that specific context, is calling the people of Israel to, to come and listen to the words that he's speaking. And is Jesus? Or? The, in this case, the prophet is Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah, yeah, Old Testament prophet. And he's calling the people of Israel to, to listen to what he's saying, to come reason with me, because he has words of life for them from God that, that though their sins are like scarlet, they can be made as white as snow. Though, though your sins are so vast that they run like blood, they can be forgiven. They can be purified as the driven snow. That's what that means. Interesting. Yeah. By through... For Jesus, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Um, are you a Christian? No. Okay. No, Do you have any spiritual beliefs? I'm, I was raised a Muslim. Okay. But I'm sort of in a crisis of faith. Okay. Um, to the point that I'm even questioning uh, God, if God exists or not exists, okay. things like that. Well, uh, the authority by which I would come to you mm-hmm. is not my opinion. Because mm-hmm. my opinion is arbitrary. My opinion has no more authority over you than your opinion opinion would have over me. Okay. I believe the word of God is infallent, inerrable, and God-breathed. Now, I'm referring to the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, God has said of himself in his word mm-hmm. uh, that his word is literally God-breathed. Okay. And, and the word of God says, uh, uh, I'm sorry, you pronounce your first name? Hassan. Hassan. Yeah. The word of God says in Romans chapter 1 that Hassan knows that God exists. Mm-hmm. And that if Hassan were to deny that reality, it's simply because he's suppressing the truth in his unrighteousness. Because his love for sin and love for self is so great, and he doesn't want to submit to the authority of God, that he'll replace God with himself. You know, I've, I've heard that, and, and that's a big thing in um, Islam as well. Obviously, I know Islam more than I know Christianity. Sure, and I know Christianity more than I know Islam. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing, too. You know, it talks about people who... Um, everybody knows that God exists, but their their hearts are blind, and they're suppressing the truth sure. somehow. But I... Yeah. It's kind of hard to understand that for me. As okay. in, I'm somebody who really wants to answer in this world okay you know and i have when it, since i've been a little kid um mm-hmm. but i kind of suppress that and i'm like okay. okay well this is all the rules that i as, as i'm sure a lot of christians and everybody from any religion and stuff they were learning and practicing as they were growing sure up. um yeah and, and my belief according according to the bible is that while we may be raised in a religion, whether that religion is Islam or Judaism or Christianity or Mormonism, whatever it may be, uh, but particularly in regards to Christianity, the fact that someone is raised in a Christian church or a Christian home in and of itself does not make them a Christian. Um, we, uh, in fact, in uh, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, and in fact, what, I, the, what little I do know about about the Quran is that the Quran affirms that both the Old Testament and New Testament are true. That and they have truth in them. No, that not, not only that they have truth in them, but that they cannot be corrupted. Well, that's not what I was told. Bro. Okay, all right. Well, and maybe that wasn't. I'm, I was I'm, told there there is elements of truth in them, but they were corrupted. That's that's the belief. Right. That they have. Right. And of course, I don't have a copy of the Quran with me. Yeah, but yeah. and I and I. I will readily admit that I have not read all of it. I yeah. certainly have not read all of the hadiths yeah. you know, and, the, and, the other, and the other writings. Um, but what I, ha- I have a copy of the Quran at home, 
And what I have marked in it, in part, yeah. is that the Quran teaches that the Word of God cannot be corrupted. The Injil cannot be corrupted. Okay. Well, that's, okay. that's not what we were told. Okay. I mean, yeah. Well, look, you know, there are the, a lot... The, understand, the main understanding is that they work for Okay. But you do find truth in and that. The, the difference between that and the Quran was that the Quran was supposedly the miracle that could never be corrupted because everybody memorized it, something like that. Right. But, yeah. Um, that's beside the, the point. The thing, yeah. the thing about it is, though, if... if uh, if my appeal isn't to the Word of God and God Himself for authority as to what is true and what is not, then I can't know what truth is. Because in order for me to know what truth is apart from God and His Word, I have to be able to perfectly discern in myself what truth is. And I'm a, fa and I'm a fallible man. I can't. Okay. Right? I, I don't know everything. So my, how do you my knowledge. Uh, in fact, Jesus said that it is the truth that will set you free. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to God the Father but through me. So how come millions of people will read the Bible mm -hmm. and the Quran and whatever other religion, whatever other book? Well, I mean, these are main, sure. main players in the world. And people will have different, you know, a million people could read the Bible and they could not be convinced. How are you? Thanks. Can I give you something back? My name's Tony, by the way. God bless you, sir. God bless you. And you are? Sean. Sean. Good to meet you, Sean. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. Uh, one more time. So, a million people will, will read the books. Um, sure. And some people will be convinced, and some people will not be. Yes. And the way my religion was telling me, and it seemed similar to what you were saying, was that those people that aren't convinced, their heart is blind. They do believe deep down, but they're lying to themselves or they're denying that part of it, something like that. And I just, that's, that's hard for me to understand. Well, there are a couple of things involved there, okay? One, uh, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man, meaning the unconverted man, the natural man cannot understand that which is spiritual because it is spiritually discerned. Okay. Shortly before that, in the same book, he wrote that the, the word of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, there are, there are a couple of reasons why people don't understand. One, as we both already mentioned, that people deceive themselves, they lie to themselves. What they do understand, they actually deny. Okay. But beyond that, the reality is that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, a person is dead in their sin. They are spiritually dead. Now, they're driving cars, they're walking, stopping, talking, you know, engaging in life and practice. They're physically alive, but spiritually, they are dead. Uh, in John chapter 11, uh, there is a, a story of uh, Jesus bringing back to life a dear friend of his named Lazarus. Um, Lazarus, uh, uh, friends of Lazarus had come to Jesus who was uh, a few days journey away and he said your friend Lazarus is sick very very sick you need to come you need to heal him and Jesus did not go and the apostles wondered why he wasn't going and Jesus said well this this uh, this sickness does not lead into death but yet but yet Lazarus did die he physically died and Jesus intentionally waited four days 
before he went to where Lazarus was buried. The reason for that is that the body begins, the physical body, the flesh and bones, begins to see corruption and decay after the third day. By the fourth day, Lazarus' body would have begun to rot from the inside but out. He was still belie- he was still alive. No, he was dead. No, okay. he was he was okay. dead. He was dead as a stump. Okay. Okay. Dead to the point that he was becoming worm food. That his body was deteriorating. Okay. All right. So Jesus goes to Bethany where all this took place. And uh, Jesus commands that the the stone be rolled away. Uh, the um, Judean desert, uh, very common at that time throughout that world in multiple cultures that the dead were buried in caves. Stones were rolled in front of the caves to not only protect uh, from the desecration of, of the dead, but also because of the stench that's involved with rotting in an arid climate. Okay, Jesus says, roll away the stone. Um, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they said to him, Jesus, by now, knowing it's the fourth day, they said, by now, there is going to be a very strong odor. We, we should not roll away the stone. Jesus commands again to roll away the stone, and they do. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of that tomb a living person. Hmm. Same Lazarus. This was after the fourth day? Uh, Yeah, right, yeah. Or on the fourth day. What's that? Was he a decaying corpse? No, he was was alive again. He was alive again. Hmm. Now, the, the question I would ask is, what would have had to happen to Lazarus before he could obey the command that Jesus gave to come out? What would have had to have happened to a dead man physically? Have to become alive. Exactly. And because all of us were born with a sin nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve, we are all dead spiritually. And we cannot understand the things of God. We cannot discern rightly the things of God. We cannot even have any true desire to follow God or to obey God until he makes us alive spiritually. The Bible refers to that as being born again, literally being born from above. And when God does that miraculous work in a person, and the Bible declares that it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that so that God happens. Has to, God has to zap you first with this. Well, that, that, that's... To become born again that, first that's before a, you go to sleep well, for it? Well, I would replace the word zap, which okay. is very simplistic, with regenerated. He has to take your heart of stone that's at enmity with him, that, that does not love God, that does not want to obey God, in fact, that is incapable of doing so because of your sin. I have a small dog at home, a chihuahua mix named Roxy. She loves to chase squirrels up trees. She is never going to be able to climb that tree like a squirrel, build a nest like a squirrel, and give birth to squirrels, because she is a dog. Even if she thinks she was a squirrel, she remains a dog. But if her nature was miraculously changed and she became a squirrel, she would do exactly what a squirrel does. Okay, so what triggers that to get the miraculous change? God does. God is determined. What do you have to do? Yeah, good question. Uh, The Bible teaches that it is by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. The commonality between Islam, Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, the Watchtower Society, um, Buddhism, and any other religion you might think of, apart from Biblical Christianity, 
is that all of those religions as a tenant say that you must do X, Y, and or Z to commend yourself to God so that you may have the hope that he might forgive you. The Bible teaches Hussan that there is nothing that Hussan and Tony can do to commend us to God. There is no work that we can do. Uh, you, uh, me going to church on Sunday does not commend me to God. Uh, me giving my money doesn't commend me to God. Me helping the poor doesn't commend me to God. You going, uh, you making what, a hajj. It's, does, just, it's just a faith then? Or? Well, even, even that is a gift. Even, okay. even faith is a gift from God. See, God has determined before the foundation of the world that he is going to save for himself mm. through faith in his son a select group of people. A, a group of people that comes from every tribe, every tongue, every nation on the face of the earth. Okay. Now, he has declared that that's what he will do. You and I, as fleshly human beings, limited by our human nature, we have no idea who it is that God has determined So if you're saying our save. actions don't necessarily um, choose us to become saved, right? God has to decide that. So what's the point of talking to people here, then? Because God is a God of means. Because God has determined that the means by which people will come to repentance and faith in Christ okay. is through the proclamation of the gospel. Okay. See, God has determined who he will save, and those whom he will save will hear the proclamation of the gospel, and they will repent and believe. God is a God of means. And since so God is working through you, basically, in this right, specific not, thing. Not because there's anything special about me. Okay. Because he has commanded every follower of Jesus Christ, not just a guy named Tony in Davenport, he has commanded every follower of Jesus Christ to go and, and, and proclaim the gospel uh, to, to everyone. Uh, the two greatest commands, as Jesus articulated them, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no greater way I can love God than to tell others about him, no matter what it costs me. And there's no greater way that I can love you, my neighbor, than to warn you of the wrath of God to come and to point you to the only way of escape, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. See, there is one God. God is one, all right? And this God, um, we as Christians, and as the Bible teaches, believe that he is triune. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How can he do that? I, I used to have issues with that okay. and with original sin and this stuff, but anymore I'm like, if God, like if the God of Islam, he did this way, the things that he was able to do, um, you know, like, heaven might be a little bit different from the Christian heaven, the world, you know, everything in that religion, there are differences. Um, even maybe God's, definitely God's nature, because he's not triune, but now now I'm thinking, but, you know, but God is, is ultimate, maybe anything's possible. Well, God is, uh, uh, God is a God of laws. Right? All of the natural laws, all the mathematic laws, all the scientific laws, they are all pictures of the very character of God. Logic, reason, is not born out of confusion. Um, it is unreasonable uh, for contradiction to be accepted uh, in this way. Um, if, I, if I pulled my wallet out and I showed you a $20 bill, and you watch me pull it out of my wallet, 
that $20 bill cannot be in my wallet and not be in my wallet at the same time and in the same sense. Um, you are Hassan. You cannot be Hassan and Mary in the same way at the same time and in the same sense. That would violate the law of non-contradiction. Well, nowadays with all the transgender stuff, you never know. Well, uh, well to that I would say it doesn't matter what people believe. What yeah. matters is whether or not what they believe is true. You came up and introduced me as Hassan. And I could say, no, 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 no. You're an African-American woman named Mary. I believe that with all my heart. Yeah, and Utterly irrelevant, mm -hmm. right? Because what's true is you're a young man named Hassan, mm -hmm. okay? So, God, while, while there can be views of God and beliefs about God that are contradictory, God is not contradictory. Okay. okay. Do you believe God is holy? As, sure, yeah. Uh, okay. Do you believe God is perfect? Sure, yeah, of course. I agree. No trick, no tri right, exactly. If, 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 he see, if he was not holy, if he was not perfect. If there's a God, he has to be holy, right? That's right, otherwise he's us. Yeah. Right? No, there's nothing to distinguish yeah. from, from us. Well, I, I, would, I would offer to you, Hassan, that the Quran shows that the God of Islam is not holy. Okay. The reason being, and that is not a, that is not a slur, no, you know, okay. okay. Well, no, it's I'm, well. I'm not, I'm not here defending Islam. I'm, no, I'm I, sure no, I understand. So but I want to be respectful. I, mean, I want to be respectful. I appreciate. That. Okay. And, and I and I'm very appreciative that you stopped to have this conversation with sure. me. That's that's why I come out. Well, thanks for having but, me. Thank you. Um, and you're welcome. But but Islam teaches that God is allowed to lie. Mm -hmm. That God is allowed to deceive. That God can change his mind. And in fact, to the point of changing the rules. It, it, I know he can deceive. I okay. Is that holy? I'm not sure about the second part. Okay, all right. So let's go with the first part that you're sure of. Okay. Is that holy? Would it be holy for me to deceive you? Would it be holy for me to stand here with the cross? Well, would it, would it be holy for me to kill somebody? I would. Does, or destroy somebody. Doesn't God do that in certain situations? Right, but God. Here's you know the I mean? here's the difference. Again, God is not like us, right? God is holy. Everything God does, out of His character, is perfect. God is good, and, and what we see throughout, uh, certainly the Old and the New Testament, particularly the Old Testament, where we see much of God's wrath. Although we see that in the New Testament as well. Um, we must look at it through the lens of the holiness of God. Okay and not the goodness of man. Mm -hmm. And this is what I mean. If we look at man as inherently good, then it would seem arbitrary, capricious, and evil for God to arbitrarily kill someone who is good mm -hmm. by nature, okay? But we know from what the Word of God teaches that you and I are not good. You and I were born with a sin nature. You and I have sinned well, well, in thought. what if he killed somebody evil? What do you mean if he killed, if he was evil in killing someone? No, no, if he killed somebody that's evil. Oh, he's killed many people who are evil. Yeah, so but in the same way in, in Islam, God has, I think, I, I, my scope of studies don't encompass that much, but it is... And mine less. Yeah, well, he's deceived, um, like in battle, if these people are, were fighting against um, a certain group, he's deceived them a certain way so that they would lose the battle and things like that. But as far as him, for no reason, without the... A big thing, especially with my sect, I'm a Shia. Uh, okay. A, a pillar of our thing is uh, 
is the justice of God. That's always okay. emphasized as well, that God doesn't do anything unjustly as well. Even if okay. it is to deceive somebody, even if it is to kill somebody, there's always justice. And if there was... And I, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And if there was any point where I really thought God wasn't just, but then, then you know, that, that, made my, that would have made my uh, faith shaky. Um, yeah, that's just that. Okay, yeah, I agree with you that God is just. And God does promise to punish sinners. But according to your, your, your Shiite Muslim belief, how is it that you can be reconciled to God? How is it that Hassan can receive forgiveness of his sins, and not only forgiveness, but assurance of that forgiveness? How, how does that happen according, according to your Shiite Muslim faith? Faith and the proof of faith, which is your actions. Okay. So it's your faith and your actions, not right. just faith alone, not just actions alone. They okay. have to be together. And and how much faith? Faith is this is a part where I myself the part of confusion for me is okay. not understanding faith. Mm-hmm. Versus, yeah, I like. I mean, how how good does your faith have to be? How well, the better your faith is, the better it should reflect in your actions, right? So, yeah, po- yeah, sure, possibly. But then, then I would ask, how good do your actions have to be? Enough to reflect your faith. But what is the de- but what is the determining factor? The t- do you do you uh, and and I'm asking not to be argumentative, but because Sorry. I don't know. Oh, that's fine. Do do you stand before God, hoping that your faith and works were enough? Mm-hmm. So then your assurance lies. Not in the goodness of God, but in your ability to have faith, enough faith and enough works. Well, if somebody has faith in God and follows God and avoids doing the major sins, or if he does do the major mm-hmm. sins, he repents and promises what? to stop, like fornication, uh-huh. like murder, like... What? Um, so, are, okay, I was going to ask, what are some of the, according yeah, to your beliefs, fornication, murder? murder. Um, basically the same stuff as, as Christianity on... Um, so in a sense, the Ten Commandments? Basically, yeah. Not okay. including, not including like saying bad stuff about God, because that then that then that could take you outside of having like you wouldn't do that if you had faith. You know what I mean? Or maybe you would, but those kind of big sins, um, avoiding them. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much do you have to repent before it's enough repentance to show? that you are truly contrite and broken over the things that you've done. See, that is the difference. Is yeah. You and, and, and I'm getting, and I'm getting yeah. to a very important point. That's you have to be sincere, but... How much you, sincerity? You, yeah, you never... God knows. The only person that knows is God. Now, now, if you were to stand before the God of Islam, and the God of Islam says, Usan, here's your list of sins... Mm-hmm. Um, here's um, your list of repentance. Here's the depth of your repentance. Here's your exhibitions of faith. Here is the depth of your faith. Mm-hmm. It's not enough for me. Well, did you have a lot of sin? It's, it's like a balance. That's, well, that's what it'll be like. My, my point is, is that you, ha- you, son, have no way of knowing what God's standard is according to that system. You have no way of knowing what the benchmark. You have no way of knowing the benchmark of faith. How do you know? How do you know your faith? Okay, yours. 
if you do have good faith, you would do good actions, right? Yeah, I am. Uh, so how do you know your faith is enough? The, the reason I know is because my faith does not look to my repentance, and my faith does not look to my works. Okay. My faith looks to the one who died on behalf of sinners like me, okay. and to him alone. It's not an arbitrary standard, and it's a standard that can be known. God, um, but wouldn't you agree that if, if I'm your Christian neighbor, I don't know if you're saved. Right, sure. Only God knows. Yes, right. right. Yes, And, and right. your neighbor may think he's saved. Yes. But on the day of resurrection, um, now you guys have a day of resurrection or just... Yeah, no, there, there, well, well, there's a day, um, there's a day of, of both, judge, resurrection to judgment, mm-hmm. resurrection to eternal life. Okay. You know, so then only God knows, right? So if... if right, but God, but God has given his people the ability to know, to have assurance that their faith in Christ is genuine faith, is saving faith. Well, you do believe there are people that say, yes, I'm saved. They could be in your church. They could be sure. in another church. Oh, sure. There are some churches now that allow gay marriage sure. and things like that. Do you believe that there are those people who think they're saved, but they are not? Absolutely. And fast, only God can judge. Yeah, in fact, in fact, Jesus spoke specifically to that mm-hmm. in the Gospel of Matthew, mm-hmm. um, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Mm-hmm. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name perform miracles in your name, do many mighty works in your name. And Jesus said, I will say to them, I will say to them on that day, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. Because, because they weren't looking to Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. They were looking to their works. That's funny. I don't know if you knew this, but Islamic view is the exact opposite. That in the day of judgment, the modern-day Christians will come to Jesus and say, he'll be exactly opposite. He's like, you only looked for me, and I was just a prophet. You have to look to God, and I was the guiding. But do you mind if I change the subject a little bit? Because I, sure. I, I'm a little bit above that, trying to discern between Christianity and Islam, because, you know, my crisis of faith is, is I, I just want to know, um, I don't have any beef in or I don't have any... Th- I mean, it's nice to talk about that Islam, what they think and what Christianity thinks. But right now, I'm confused even above that. Okay, above sure. Fire and, away. So I wanted to know... I, and that's why I'm confused, because you said there's nothing I can do to assure that I'll be... To save yourself, or right. witness a miracle... Or, or, or well, no, I, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Just for clarification's okay. sake, because because the greatest miracle God has ever performed is taking a sinner who has a heart of stone and giving him a heart of flesh and causing him to be born again. So you're so, sure. I'm yes. You're one hundred percent. I'm one hundred percent sure. If if you're trying to cross, God forbid, and a car hits you, and I believe, you, pass and you know exactly I, I, where you'll be. Is it is it locked, brother? Yeah. Ryan, this is Hassan. Hassan, Hassan. Yeah, Ryan. Hassan. Hey, Ryan, good to meet you. Should be open now, buddy. Yes, and, and let me explain that because on the surface, that sounds extremely arrogant. Um, but I know that when I die, I am going to be in the presence of the Lord for eternity, not because of who I am, Hassan, but in spite of who I am. Okay. okay. 
because my faith and my trust is in Jesus Christ alone mm -hmm. for my salvation. Not the work that I have done to appease an angry God. Okay. Not the work I've done to bribe an angry God. Mm -hmm. But on the finished work of Christ alone on the cross. Okay. Okay. Now, that faith in Jesus Christ compels me to try to live a life that is pleasing to God. Not to earn His love, not to keep His love, but because I'm so thankful for the gift of love He's given me so through faith in His Son. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, and what's your definition of believe the gospel? Well, belie believing... How do I know I believe it? Sure. And, and this, this is going to sound, on the surface, circular, okay. okay? But not all circular reasoning is fallacious, okay? It's going to sound a bit circular because you will know that you have repented and believed the gospel if you repent and believe the gospel. Okay, okay? see, hear the circularness mm -hmm. in that? But, but the, the very faith that is a gift from God, the repentance that is a gift out of the goodness of God. Those gifts that are given to God will become evident um, in your life. You will believe. You will believe not intellectually. You will not give some intellectual assent to who God is. You will not believe in Jesus Christ as a get out of hell free card mm -hmm. because you'd prefer to go to heaven than go to hell. Mm -hmm. But you will be, a, the Bible says you will be a new creature. That, that, that he, he is literally going to recreate you. With beginning with your heart. So where would you say for me to begin? By reading the Bible? We'll begin to do what? Begin to understand the things I'm saying to you? Or begin to get on the path of... See, now... now what you're saying it starts with belief, right? Right, and, and as I was saying, it's not merely an intellectual yeah. ascent. It's not you saying, okay, Tony, I agree with you. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus said that the world will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. Now, these all sound like works, don't they? So let me explain. In fact, um, James, a half-brother of Jesus, who wrote a book in the New Testament, um, given the title of his name, he said, faith without works is dead. Okay. Okay, so let me explain that. Faith without works is indeed dead. If I, if I say to you that I have put my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation but I am still living in wanton sin and rebellion against God, there's no reason for you to believe that my confession of faith is real. Yeah, your faith would, I've heard that from Christians before, so your, your faith, your deeds would reflect your faith, because if you had faith, you wouldn't want to do bad. Right, right. right. So, so Hassan, let's say that uh, you were my neighbor, and you knock on my door one day, and you said, hey, Tony, I'm going to mow your lawn so that I could be your son. Now I'm going to look at you and smile and say a couple of things. I'm going to say, one... Thanks for getting me out of yard work. Pretty humid today. Two, I think it's pretty cool that you want to be my son. But if I'm honest with you, I'm going to tell you that mowing my lawn will not make you my son. But what if you were my son? And you came to me and you said, Dad, I'm going to mow the lawn. No, I didn't scratch the car. No, I don't want to raise my allowance. No, you're not going to get a bad call from my teacher. No, the police aren't going to knock on the door. Dad, I want to mow the lawn because I love you. And I want to do that which is pleasing to you. That makes sense. That'll, and that'll make most grown men cry. Mm -hmm. No one is going to stand before God Almighty and say, look at my body of work, mm -hmm. therefore I am your son. Sure. But, those, but those who have been truly adopted by God mm -hmm. into his eternal family through faith in Christ, 
They will want to do that which is pleasing to God. But not with a view of, I have to do this much in order to garner God's love, or I have to do this much to keep God's love. So I have three daughters. How old are you? 28. 28, okay. My middle daughter is your age. Mm -hmm. So I have three adult daughters. Mm -hmm. They never had to work to keep my love. Mm -hmm. I love them from the day they were born. Right? They didn't they didn't have to get a certain GPA for me to love them. Sure. Right? Now now that's that's kind of crude because I'm a fallible man and I've never shown perfect love to my children. Okay, because I'm far from perfect. Okay. Well, what if what if they start or started disobeying you and Yeah, I, I would discipline them as a loving father. And in fact, uh, the Bible talks about that. that what if they do really bad things? What yeah, if they had done really bad things. I'm not going to stop loving them. Okay. Right? Yeah. And not, they're, they're Christian. They are. Yeah, all three of them profess faith in Christ. Yeah. What if they? What if one of them would change their faith or become an atheist? You would still have unconditional love for them. Well, I I would say uh, I'm careful with unconditional love because, again, I'm a sinful man, right? So my love for them has never been perfect. My love for them never will be perfect, okay? Um, But they're not going to cease to be my... They're not going to cease to be my daughters. But this is the difference, though. When we're talking about a relationship with God Almighty through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus himself said, all that the Father has given me, all of those that the Father has given me, no one will be able to snatch them from my hand. So someone whom God has caused to be born again, someone whom God has drawn to himself through faith in Christ, will never be lost. So, so if one of my daughters came to me having professed faith in Christ and said, Dad, I think I'm an atheist now. And she was never, the, truly. She was never actually a, a follower of Jesus Christ. When were you reborn? Or was it? Uh, I, well, I believe the day was September 4th, 1988. How old were you then? I was 24. 24. 24 years of age. That's, that's the, the, I cite that date because that's the, that's the day I cried out to God in repentance and faith, acknowledging acknowledging the fact that not only am I a sinner, but I am a sinner deserving his wrath. And that my only hope is in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And what happened? Well, how did you know? How, okay, here, here's how I knew. Um, and again, my knowledge is not perfect, right? I'm flesh. My knowledge isn't perfect, okay? But here, here was evidence for me in my own life. But even then, I don't look to that for my assurance. I look to the one who died for sinners and him alone for my assurance. But here's what happened to me. Um, I grew up believing that I was a Christian. Um, I, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church the first 10 years or so of my life. We, we moved from Pennsylvania to California. Never darkened the doors again of a Roman Catholic Church, but I still believed I was a good Catholic. So I, I believed what the Catholic Church taught me about who God is, who Jesus is. So I believed those things intellectually, mm-hmm. all right? And I believed I was a good person. All right? I, um, I wasn't. I was a fornicator. Um, I hated human beings. Um, I judged people based on, on who they were, where they lived, how, what they looked like. Sure. So I wasn't a good person. But when I compared myself to others, 
through the lens of the guy that I see in the mirror, yeah, I thought that I was a really good person. So I thought, be a good person, believe in God, and it'll work out for me in the end. So um, I went through went through high school, didn't get in a lot of trouble. Um, got out of high school, met my wife now of 33 years, Maria. She was a church-going lady. She went to a, a Methodist church, which would which is a Protestant denomination. Okay. So I started going to church with her to get the girl. That was my reason for going. I could sing a little bit. I got a deep voice. And so the leaders of the church sprinkled me into the religion and gave me a robe with a big cross on it, and I started to sing in the choir. Uh, shortly thereafter, I was hired by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, where I served for 20 years as a deputy sheriff. Oh, cool. Shortly after that, um, my, uh, by then my wife and I, we started to have children. And so I looked in the mirror and said, God's got to love me. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Um, I'm a good guy with a badge and a gun. Um, I'm going to church. I'm married and making babies. God's got to love that. Okay. One night, uh, one of my first assignments with the Sheriff's Department was working in jail. That's where all new deputies start. And a sergeant who was mentoring me professionally... Um, someone that I had a lot of respect for, someone that I wanted to impress, I overheard him talking about his Christian faith to a couple of other deputies. Mm -hmm. So, with the intent of impressing that sergeant, I butted into the conversation and I said, hey, I'm a Christian, I sing in the choir. And the sergeant looked at me almost exactly like that. Wasn't condescending, wasn't flippant, open eyes, slight smile, and he said, that's nice. And I immediately turned around walking away knowing that he knows, that I know, that I'm a hypocrite, that I'm a liar, that I'm not actually a Christian. But I really had no idea what it meant to be a Christian. I had this idea based on how I was raised and how I chose to live on what a Christian was. And I was wrong. And it would be that sergeant who would explain to me, number one, who God is. That God is the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the sovereign ruler over all that he has made. The Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. doesn't mean he's a wealthy rancher. It means he actually owns everything that he's made, and that includes me. And that he is holy, and that he is good, and that he has given a law which he has written on every human being's heart. And that law is known as a conscience. I knew it was wrong to lie, but yet I lied anyways. I knew it was wrong to steal, but I stole anyways. I knew it was wrong to take God's name in vain, but I threw his name around like it was dirt. I knew it was wrong to um, to look at a woman, to lust after her, a woman other than my wife, but I did it anyways. I knew it was wrong to harbor bitterness or resentment in my heart and to hate other people. But I justified it. I justified hating people of color in those jails because I was on this side of the badge and they were on that side of the jail cell, right? And I justified it all. And I had convinced myself, well, yeah, okay, maybe that those things aren't too good, but my good's going to outweigh my bad. But God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And, and God not only hates sin, but he hates sinners. The Bible says that he not only hates the shedding of innocent blood, he hates the hands that shed innocent blood. So that means he doesn't, it's not simply hating the sin and loving the sinner. He hates the sin and he hates the sinner. 
And if God were to give me what I deserve for my sin against him, too vast, too deep to count, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. And that's the just punishment for my sin. And then that sergeant explained to me the gospel. That God has provided only one way for sinners like me to be reconciled to the God I've spent my entire life offending. So would you say that you being in that situation with that sergeant in a way could have been God's way of exposing this to you for you to become saved? Yeah, I, I would say I would say that it was ordained by God the same way our conversation has been ordained by God. Because again, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. It's all under God's providence. So yes, that happening to me and, and having that brief conversation with that sergeant and hearing him say that, that's nice. And then the next month of gospel conversations, yeah, that was all providential. So, but let me tell you what the gospel is, okay? The gospel is this. 2,000 years ago, God the Father sent his son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man, and without sin. He was born of a virgin, just as the prophet Isaiah declared, more than 700 years before his birth. He lived a perfect life from cradle to grave for some 33 years. He perfectly obeyed God the Father as God the Son in the person of Christ for some 33 years, a life that you and I can't live for a mere 33 seconds. And that at a time appointed before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the sinless Lamb of God, voluntarily went to a Roman cross. He suffered and died a horrific bloody death he did not deserve to take upon himself the punishment a vile and wicked sinner like me rightly deserves. And then he forever defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. And what God commands of me and you, Hassan, and my friend Ryan, and all people everywhere, is that we repent that we turn from our sin and by faith and by faith alone receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Now, I, I mentioned to you that God hates sinners. So how is it that if it is true that God hates sinners, how can it be at the same time that God also loves sinners without, without violating his own perfectly created law of non-contradiction? It happened at the cross. The cross is where justice and mercy kissed. Let's say that you um, found yourself convicted of a crime. Doesn't matter what the crime is. Not a case of mistaken identity, not a corrupt system, not an, not an ignorant jury, not a corrupt judge. In fact, you confessed to the crime. Hassan did it. Yeah. On the day of sentencing, the judge says, Hassan, because of your crime, the just penalty for your crime is death. I sentence you to death. Now, unlike our system today, where death row inmates spend 20 years at our expense as taxpayers, yeah. reading porn, watching movies, getting a college education for free, you're going to be marched in the very next room. You're going to be strapped to a gurney, and you're going to be put to sleep like nothing more than a stray dog. That death penalty is going to be carried out. But as that's about to happen, the judge stands up from behind his bench, he takes off his robe of authority. He steps down from that bench and he says, Hassan, you're guilty and you deserve to die as a just punishment for your sin. And I'm going to take your place. Justice is still going to be served, but it's not going to be served on you. It's going to be served on me, the one who has judged you guilty. Mm -hmm. So while I hate you, the sinner, 
I love you enough to die on your behalf. I hate you, the convicted criminal, but I love you enough to die on your behalf. And that's what happened at the cross. That's how God can both hate the sinner and love the sinner. Because justice was carried out. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there will not be any forgiveness for sin. And the only blood that God the Father accepts is the blood of God the Son through what happened on the cross. And God has given me the gift of faith. And he has caused me to be born again to a living hope, an eternal hope, not on the basis of anything I've done to earn it, but by his grace and his love and his mercy that would allow his son to die for a sinner like me. Well, what you had to do was believe in that. Right, right. right. And, you, and, if, and if God causes you to be born again, if God has numbered you among his people, that's exactly what will happen. So you're saying once you're born again, everything, you'll have surety about everything. No, that's no. not. No, that's not what I'm okay. saying. Look, uh, Hassan. Um, Everything faith related as well. No, well, look, you you will have assurance, but Hassan, there's nothing about me that's perfect. Even my assurance. There have been times when I've wondered, am I born again? Mm-hmm. And so, where does the assurance return? Not by me going out and spending more hours on the streets. Not by me making sure I'm giving enough money to the church. Mm-hmm. Not by me making sure I'm doing enough good deeds for other people but by looking back to the one who saved me, by looking to the cross. My assurance lies in Christ. And, and Hassan, that's nothing that, that's something rather, that neither Islam nor any other religion on this planet can offer. Because your salvation is contingent in part on what you do. And you can never have assurance that you're going to do enough. My assurance is not based for a moment on what I do. It's based entirely on what Jesus Christ did and what he did was enough to to please the Father. What he did was enough to atone for my sin. What he did was enough to reconcile me to the God I've spent my entire life defending. So that's why I can have assurance. That's why I can live with hope as imperfect as it is at times because I look only to the one who saved me not on my ability to save myself sure yeah I mean I I understand those parts the loop is what is confusing to me like for me to because you know now with this faith thing um, I'm even questioning reality a lot Um, but it's like I first time ever I've, I've called out to Jesus and I, I could never do that as a Muslim if I did that that's like blasphemous yeah that's according blasphemous to the too. right yeah. yeah that is you know that's polytheism or believing in another God or, or yeah. yeah according to Islamic yeah, tenets yes that's what it would be for us right. and just calling out and but, but the way I literally call out is Jesus if you are God give me a sign right but what you were saying correct me if I'm wrong on the loop is I have to believe in him first for him to show me the sign or I have to believe in him first to be saved but if I'm asked if I, if I don't know if I'm not saved my heart's not pure mm-hmm. and I'm asking him give me a sign lead me to the right path sure then how so, would that happen and let me explain it this way in fact uh 
In fact, an, an atheist once said to me, on, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial okay. in Washington, D.C., I, I was on vacation, uh -huh. and I was handing out some gospel tracts to people, and I handed one to the president of an atheist society. I don't remember which one, but that's how he identified himself. And we had a conversation, very friendly like, like ours. And he said, well, you know, if God would show me a miracle, maybe I would believe. And I said, well, he's already showed you one today. What's that? He hasn't killed you today for your sin, the sins you've committed today. Okay. But here, here's an, an interesting word picture that might help more specifically. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was expecting a sign in the sky. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. So, so a man is living next to the Mississippi River, all right? We're getting some rain, as we know. It doesn't even have to rain here for the Mississippi River to flood. If they get tons of rain in Minnesota, which they often do, we're gonna get, we're gonna get flooded here, right? So this man's house is beginning to flood. For the basement's full. Water starts to rise up into the first floor. Water starts to rise up into the second floor. He's going to wait it out. He thinks, he thinks that the waters are going to subside. But, but they don't. And he finds himself up on the roof with the water still rising. And he cries out to God. God, send me a sign that you're going to save me. Short time later, a helicopter flies overhead. Lowers a rope. Says, come on. We're here to save you. Grab the rope. And he says, no. I'm waiting for God to show me a sign that he's going to save me. So the helicopter leaves. They're not going to... They got, they got pe all kinds of people on rooftops. Yeah. They, they can't sit around waiting for someone to grab the rope. They're going to go to the next person. Short time later, powerboat, uh, motorboat comes by. Come on, man, get down in the boat. We got enough room. We got a life preserver. You're going to be okay. Just climb down off the top of your house. No, I'm waiting for God to show me a sign that he's going to save me. Eventually... The floodwaters rise above his house. The man can't swim, and he drowns. And he's standing before God, and the man cries out, Why didn't you show me a sign? He said, I sent you a helicopter and a powerboat. What more do you want? Do you want a sign, Hassan? Sure, yeah. You stopped today, and you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What more do you want? God's given you a sign today. You saw, I, look. I'm, I decided to stop. Well, but, you sure you did, but yeah. all under God's providence. Yeah, everything you decided to do mm -hmm. today, you decided to do. Yeah. So did I. Yeah, we all made, we made conscious decisions. Sure. You made a conscious decision when you saw me standing here saying, you know what, I don't know what, how this is going to go, yeah. but I'm going to stop and talk to this guy with the cross. Yes, you made that decision. Sure. All under God's providence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you cried out to God and said, God, give me a sign. Yeah. You heard the entirety of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. I guess my, my, my thing is, other people, when they cried out to God and the helicopter would have shown up, somebody would have said, yes, this was a sign for God. Let me go. You know, and he climbs up. But well, if it was another person and he yelled, Allahu Akbar, and then the helicopter comes, you see, yeah, Allah did it. And he goes into it, too. And um, a Hindu cries out to Krishna, and the helicopter yeah. comes. And they think it's a sign of Krishna, yeah. their God, and, as well. And, here, and now we go back. And now we go back to suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Because you know, Hassan, that what I'm telling you is true. You do. That's what the Muslim says, too. It doesn't matter what saying, they say. He's saying your heart is right, pure. Sure. You know it's true what I'm telling right. you, but your heart isn't pure. Right, but, but you know, you know that, for lack of a better word, you know that the gospel of Islam is not true. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what the other person believes. Hassan is standing in front of... But they'll say the same thing, though. It doesn't matter what they say. What matters is whether or not what they say is true. 
but that's what I'm trying to find out. You're right. No, I, I, no, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Because what for I, them, theirs is true. Right. Right. If you, if you talk to my dad, he's 100 percent convinced, and he'll sure. say, "No, yeah, you know that it's sure. You know that our on is correct. Yeah, but you're just denying it in your heart. You yeah. know it's true. The Bible says that your dad knows that he's believing a lie. Hmm. That he's and I mean no offense to your father. Oh, that's fine. Okay, but I was the same way, hmm. right? The, and the Bible, the God is the authority. Hmm. Right? God, the, in Romans chapter two, verse four, it says, "God is true, though every man be found to be a liar." God has said in his authoritative God-breathed word that you know who God is and you suppress that truth by your unrighteousness. How do you unsuppress it? Repent and believe the gospel, my friend. And that's the loop again. Well, it's not, it's, it's not a loop. It, it, it's, it's not a, a loop necessarily. It, it, it's, simply, it's simply the truth. It's simply what it is. What now, drives somebody to do that, though? God does it. God does. And how do I know that? How do I know it's God that drives you to repent and believe? To truly repent and believe? You will. What did he say? It's something about saving trees or something. Um, and then Ryan hauled out, hauled it out, stop and talk. Um, but Ryan, the, the, um, you will find the answer in repentance and faith. Because... Is that my answer? Or is the answer God will? No, well, the well, the answer is the answer is is that is that if God is draw, and indeed drawing you to Himself, you will answer the call to repent and believe the gospel by repenting and believing the gospel. That, that's exactly but God's it. action is first. Yes, God's action is first. Yes. So for me, it, you could basically be saying, "Hey, if it happens, it happens." If God wills it, you will get it. If he doesn't, you won't. And that's something I kind of had issue with in Islam. That's also there too. It's God will lead some people and will um, deceive some people astray as well. Okay. And I, I couldn't understand that. Yeah, so and, I'm just and the here waiting. And the, and the God and the God who is, um, uh, the God who is will will save some. He won't save everybody. Those he's determined to save, he will save. But there's now, nothing in my soul that God will look to say, oh, well, this person, Hassan, he was more deserving, or, or he's no. special. There's no. nothing I can do, so it's no. just random? No, it's not random. It, there's nothing random about it. It's completely undeserved. Let, 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 me, let me explain it this way. Um, uh, President Trump, as President of the United States, he has, in a sense, the sovereign authority to pardon criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you familiar with, with that pardoning? Okay. He doesn't answer to the judiciary. Mm-hmm. He doesn't answer to the legislature. He doesn't answer to the constituency. He can determine on his own for reasons known only to him. He doesn't even have to articulate why. He can determine to pardon a criminal. Completely legal. Nothing anyone could do about it. All right. So let's say that... that um, Let's say that 10 men mm-hmm. decide to blow up a mosque mm-hmm. and they carry out the act. They're all caught. The evidence is there. They're all equally guilty of the exact same crime. They're all sentenced to death and rightly so. Okay. Someone decides to put forward these, the names of these 10 men for pardons to the president. Pardon. Uh, the president familiarizes himself with the case. He knows that each of these men are equally guilty. He knows each of these men have been justly tried and convicted and sentenced to death. 
he decides out of one through ten to pardon number two and let the other nine receive the death penalty. Okay. Was he unfair to the other nine? To our brain, yes. Right, our brain is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, because we look through the lens of fairness based on the falsehood that there's something good in us, that we that God owes us something yeah, other that, than that his wrath. Yeah, that would be like, oh. God saved him because he knew something about that person, that he was, he had a pure heart, he was deceived, whatever it may be. Nope. No, and and look, if if I so so God would be just to pardon one or all ten or none. God would be just to allow one or nine or all ten go to their death and the death penalty. That would be just, okay. But He also has the authority to pardon whom He will. Sure. There's seven and a half to eight billion people on the planet. Each and every one of us are guilty before God as sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. If God gives each and every one of us justice, we all go to hell as the just punishment for our sin. Because we're all sinful by nature. Right, exactly. But God, according to his own sovereign and perfect will, and for his own glory, he determined before the foundation of the world that some of those who deserve to die, he is going to allow to live forever with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Okay. Not because, let, let's say, he determines to save you and he doesn't determine to save me. It's not because Hassan was better than Tony. Because both of us are wicked in the eyes of God because of our sin. So you, is that possible? Is what possible? You say you've been saved since you were 24 and you're here doing... Um, what you believe is beneficial for people to be safe. Is it possible that you do this all your life, but then at the end, something happens in my faith and God saves me and not you? Um, you, you know what? I, I would have to say yes. It's po- in this sense that it, it's possible. It's possible, Hassan, that I could be a false convert and that I don't know it. Okay, I can't say it's possible for others and not say it's possible for me. Okay, fine. But... But again, I, I don't believe that to be the case because my faith is in Jesus Christ. My hope, my assurance, assurance and certainty are different things, okay? Look, I'm certain that God is. I'm certain that there's only one way of salvation, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ because of what God has said about himself and his word. But you don't have surety? No, I do. I have a surety that God has caused me to be born again to a living hope. You don't have certainty? Well, how, how can I... Um, I, I don't know the mind of the Lord. Let me put it that way. I don't know the mind of the Lord. Okay? I believe by faith that God has saved me through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why my, where my assurance lies. If in the end it turns out that I've been a false convert and God sends me to hell for all eternity as the just punishment of my sins, God is good. God is good. Okay? So, so when you say, is it possible? If I say it's possible for someone else to be a false convert... Uh, I for integrity in my position, I've got to say, sure, it's possible. Yeah. Not for a moment do I believe that. Mm-hmm. Not because of who Tony is, or not because of what Tony has done, but because of who Jesus Christ is, and because of what Jesus Christ has done on behalf of me, a okay. sinner. Okay. Well, I should head out. Do uh, you guys have a card or something? Or Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah. There, you know, if... Um, uh, let me uh, 
Tony. Yeah. Okay. Let me. You know what? Can I give you my contact information? Would sure, that be all right? Yeah. Let me. Let me grab it out of my car. See where are you? Oh, please be a card in here somewhere. There it is. Ah. Hassan, all I know is that you're Hassan, mm -hmm. and you wear a pale green and gray baseball T-shirt. Mm -hmm. All right. So no salesman's going to come to your door. But that's all my contact information. Mm -hmm. If you ever want to sit down and talk again, if you would ever like to sit down and open the Bible together, okay. if you would ever just want to go out and grab a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. I would love to do I'll that. I'll keep it. I don't know if I will, but I don't know if you will either. But the door will always it. be open. Okay, I appreciate it so much. Thank yeah, you. God bless you, Hassan. Thank hey, you. Thank you. Hey, brother. How are you? Oh, fabulous. Praise the Lord. That was my conversation with Hassan, my hour-long conversation with Hassan on the corner of Marquette and Locust in Davenport, Iowa, uh, probably two or three years ago. I think, yeah, probably two years ago. And uh, as I listened to this audio a few times in preparation for this episode of the Street Fishing Podcast, uh, of course, I, I wonder what happened to Hassan. At the end of the conversation, I gave him my contact information. Uh, welcome to do everything from have a cup of coffee to read the Bible together. And he was honest. He said, yeah, I don't know if I'll do that. And well, thus far, he hasn't. Um, but I have no doubt that uh, seeds were planted during that conversation. Uh, maybe someone else came along and watered uh, what kind of ground those seeds fell on. Well, that's entirely up to God. My hope is that it was good soil and that if he is not already uh, the Lord will eventually save Hassan, cause him to be born again to a living hope. That's my hope for everybody I, I talk to. And, and I want to take just a minute and make a shameless plug for crosswalking. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time or uh, otherwise been following my ministry in some way, you know I spend a good deal of time, um, almost every day, in fact, standing on a corner somewhere with a five-foot-tall cross that says, Stop and Talk. And uh, I also, depending on where I'm at and how windy it is, I'll also incorporate some gospel signs uh, that I'll have posted uh, around where I'm standing to communicate aspects of the gospel to people driving and walking by. And I have been at that now for 11 years. Um, I've been on the streets, uh, open-air preaching, engaged in one form or another of public evangelism for oh, uh, 16 years now. And uh, 11, the last 11 of those years, an aspect of my street ministry has been crosswalking, standing at the corner of walk, don't walk, holding that cross. It says stop and talk on the cross beam uh, with Isaiah 118 on the back and waving to passing motorists, uh, offering gospel tracts to pedestrians walking by, hoping that someone will stop and talk to me. And over the years, 
certainly over the last three or four years, as I've been out here in Davenport, Iowa, uh, the Lord blesses me with at least one conversation almost every day that I'm out on the streets. And Hassan is a case in point. Hassan and I had never met. Uh, we likely, in God's providence, would have not met any other way. Um, he was driving by, going through this crisis of faith, saw the guy standing on the corner with a cross, and said, well, it's time for me to stop and talk to this guy. And one of the wonderful things about crosswalking is just about every conversation I have is initiated by the other person. Now, hear me clearly, there's absolutely nothing wrong with initiating conversations with strangers. I do it all the time. Um, we, we should be out there doing that. But it's really wonderful when the conversation is initiated by the other person. It means that they truly want to have the conversation. And more often than not, vastly more often than not, the conversation is a positive one. We might not always agree. Uh, certainly the person doesn't always walk away having repented and believed the gospel. That rarely happens. Uh, but rarely do I get into arguments while crosswalking. Uh, most of the heckling I face are in the forms of drive-bys, as uh, people are driving by, hollering various things from their cars. And every once in a while, someone will stop to, quote-unquote, take me on, uh, to try to argue, to try to mock. Um, but that's rare. Most of the time, people are, who stop to talk are like Hassan. They want to have uh, a conversation. And so at the encouragement of a few uh, I am in the process right now of writing a book uh, on crosswalking, all the nuts and bolts, um, answering as many questions as I possibly can based on the questions I have been asked over the last 11 years. Uh, I've learned a lot about this aspect of ministry as I've been doing it so much. And so I'm working on a book about crosswalking. Uh, the plan at the moment is to make it a free uh, digital book through Amazon. I'm not going to charge anything for it. I want to get it into the hands of as many people as possible. I have a professional editor who is willing to help me with the project. And uh, so I'm in the process of putting together that first draft now. And uh, I'm hoping to get, out, get that out uh, sooner than later. Uh, and when I do, I'll let you know. And if you've never considered crosswalking before, you know, maybe this book will help uh, help you to get your toes in the water. But I, I think it's a very legitimate way to engage in public evangelism. And for years, it has borne significant fruit uh, in that many people have stopped to talk. Many people have received gospel tracts. A uh, few people have made professions of faith in Christ. People have visited the church as a result of, of seeing me uh, on the corner with the cross. And uh, maybe this would be the, the way to go about reaching the lost with the gospel in your community. Or a way, if not the way. So I'll keep you posted on that. All right, so what did you think of this conversation with Hassan? Uh, would love to hear from you. Um, what did you like? What did you not like? What should I have said differently? Uh, I, I caught 
a rather funny mistake that I made in the audio. I wonder if you heard it. If you were listening at all closely, you probably did. Maybe left you scratching your head. I'll share that with you in just a second. But uh, but I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the conversation with Hassan. Email me at streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. Streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com. All right. So, so shortly into the conversation, as I began to speak about God's word as the ultimate authority, <laughs> I, I described... I described God's word as infallent and inerrable. <laughs> infallent and inerrable. Uh, I what I did is I I juxtaposed parts of infallible with parts of inerrant and created infallent <laughs> and inerrable. Uh, those words you will not find in the dictionary, I, be- I, I don't believe. Uh, but the way dictionaries are changing these days, maybe maybe I could get them in there someday. But what I meant to say was infallible and inerrant. And there is actually something to learn from that, uh, from that funny little mistake. Sometimes I talk too fast. Uh, sometimes uh, my mouth is moving faster than my brain. And so as I listened, that's a first, that conversation happened three years ago. And, you know, when I first posted the conversation on Sermon Audio, I listened through it, went through it uh, to make sure it was something I wanted to post and didn't catch it then. It's been sitting there for three years. No one has said anything. I, I listened to it this week as I was preparing for the, the podcast. And there it was, infallent and inerrable. <laughs> Look, none of us speak perfectly right? And uh, one of the reasons Christians give for not going out to share their faith publicly with strangers is because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing uh, or say something the wrong way. And well, guess what? That's going to happen because we are fallible, Um, uh, not infallent, (laughs) not fallent. We are fallible. We are fallible people. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to say the wrong things uh, at times. But God is sovereign over that. God's providence oversees all of that. And look, if God is determined to save or not to save the person in front of you, there's nothing you're going to say or not say that is going to thwart the will of God in that person's life. That doesn't give us a license to run roughshod over people, to intentionally say the wrong things, to intentionally try to deceive people, to not care about being careful in our speech and in our communication of uh, gospel truth. But we are going to make mistakes, and that's okay. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Uh, Learn from them. And even after being out there all the years that I've been out there, Something I could take away from listening to that conversation with Hassan is, you know what, Tony? Sometimes you need to slow down. (laughs) Sometimes you need to talk a little slower. Sometimes you need to give yourself a moment of pause uh, to get your thoughts together. You know, and one of the challenges in that for me is that I am out there communicating the gospel so often, and I am often saying the same things to a lot of different people that the words can just roll out of my mouth sometimes without me really thinking about it. And that's when I'm most likely to make a mistake. 
And so I need to be careful with my speech. I need to slow down sometimes. I need to let my brain catch up with uh, my mouth. And maybe that might be, maybe that might be helpful to you too. Uh, I did, of course, early on in the conversation, emphasize to Hassan that uh, there is an authority. God is the authority. Every human being knows that God exists. Hassan knows that God exists regardless of his crisis of faith that at that moment in time left him beginning to wonder if God existed. Uh, but by the authority of God's word, God has declared that every human being does know that God exists. And so again, in presuppositional apologetics, we do not uh, argue to God. We do not argue to the Word of God. We argue from God. We argue from the Word of God, meaning God and His Word are the starting point. They are not the end point. They are not the finish line. They are the starting line. We begin with the presupposition that everything God has said about himself in his word is true. And so if God says, and he does, since God says that every human being knows that he exists, well then a person asserting that God doesn't, or a person, a person like Hassan uh, asserting that, well, you know what, maybe I'm not sure anymore, we can assert with clarity, with kindness, with firmness, well, Hassan, that's not true. You know that God exists. You're not the authority. God and his word is. Something I learned from Hassan that I, I didn't know is that Islam affirms the truth of Romans 1.18, that every human being knows that God exists. I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I wasn't aware of that. And then we got into uh, a short conversation about whether or not the Bible is truth or the Bible contains truth, a uh, common misconception among Muslims, um, something that many of them don't realize about their, their own religious book, the Quran, is that the Quran affirms that the Bible cannot be corrupted. Uh, of course, like many Muslims, uh, who have either been taught or led to believe, uh, like Hassan. Uh, Hassan said, no, the, uh, the Quran teaches that the, Bible, um, that the Bible can be corrupted, that while the Bible contains truth, that it has been corrupted over time. And when I asserted to Hassan that the Quran said otherwise, that the Bible is to be believed and that the Bible can't be corrupted, he said, well, I was never taught that. And so what I want to do for you now um, is allow a man by the name of David Wood, uh, an apologist who really is an expert on Islam and has debated many Muslims on the streets and elsewhere. Uh, I would like him to explain to you how it is that the Quran affirms the Bible and what David Wood refers to as the uh, Muslim's Great Dilemma. So uh, let's listen to that, and then uh, we'll continue the Chalk Talk uh, after, this, uh, after this audio. All right, here's David Wood. 
In Surah 29, verse 46, the Quran commands Muslims to say to Christians, We believe in what has been revealed to us and in what has been revealed to you. Our God and your God is one, and to Him we submit. Yet many Muslims say something very different to Christians. They say, We don't believe in your book because it's been corrupted, and your God is a false God. If Muslims are commanded to say that they believe in what has been revealed to us, why do they instead say that they don't believe in the Bible, the only revelation we have? And if they're commanded to say that our God and their God is one, why do they instead say that our God is a false God? According to the Bible, God is a trinity, one in nature or essence, but three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son entered creation as Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus died on the cross for sins and rose from the dead. The Quran denies all of this, so a Muslim can't say that he believes in the Bible or that Allah and the God of the Bible are the same God. Muslims have to reject the Bible, because the Bible contradicts the Quran. But Muslims have a problem here. The Quran declares that the Torah and the Gospel were revealed by Allah. Surah 3 verses 3 through 4 he has revealed to you the book with truth, verifying that which is before it. And he revealed the Torah and the Gospel aforetime, a guidance for the people. And he sent the Quran. So Allah revealed the Torah and the Gospel as a guidance. But our Muslim friends tell us that Allah couldn't protect the Torah and the Gospel, and that both revelations were corrupted by men. What Allah sent to guide people ended up misguiding people convincing Christians that God is a trinity and that Jesus died on the cross for sins. Of course, we should be puzzled when Muslims tell us that the Torah and the Gospel were changed because the Quran states that no one can change Allah's words. Surah 18, verse 27 And recite what has been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. There is none who can change his words. And you shall not find any refuge besides him. Here our Muslim friends might say, this verse only means that no one can change the Quran. But the verse doesn't say that no one can change the Quran. It says that no one can change Allah's words. And the Torah and the Gospel, according to the Quran, are Allah's words. Despite Allah's clear declaration that no one can change his words, many Muslims assert that the Gospel was corrupted by the Apostle Paul or by later Christians. If the Gospel is corrupted, we can only wonder why the Quran says that Christians still had the Gospel during the time of Muhammad. Surah 7 verse 157 Those who follow the Messenger, the unlettered prophet, whom they find mentioned in their own scriptures, in the Torah and the Gospel, it is they who will prosper. How could Christians find Muhammad mentioned in the Gospel when the Gospel was supposedly corrupted centuries earlier? Is Allah saying that we find Muhammad mentioned in our corrupted scriptures? But we don't find Muhammad mentioned in our scriptures at all, except as part of a general warning about false prophets who come to lead people away from the Gospel. And if we did find Muhammad mentioned in our scriptures, how would we know that this wasn't one of the corrupted parts? And since our scriptures contradict Islam, why would Allah appeal to them as evidence for Islam? 
But Allah goes much further than this. He commands Christians to judge by the gospel. Surah 5, verse 47. Let the people of the gospel judge by what Allah hath revealed therein. If any do fail to judge by the light of what Allah hath revealed, they are no better than those who rebel. Why does Allah command us to judge by a corrupt book? The only gospel we have contradicts Islam, so in order to obey Allah's command, we would have to judge by the gospel and conclude that Islam is false. Allah continues along these same lines in Surah 5, verse 68. Say, O people of the book, you have no ground to stand upon unless you stand fast by the Torah, the gospel, and all the revelation that has come to you from your Lord. Why would Allah tell us that we have no ground to stand upon unless we stand upon a corrupt book? If the gospel has been corrupted, wouldn't Allah just tell us to get rid of it and believe in the Quran? So the Quran clearly maintains that the gospel is authoritative for Christians, and this only makes sense if the author of the Quran believed that Christians have the word of God. But the gospel wasn't just authoritative for Christians, it was also authoritative for Muhammad himself and, therefore, for Muslims. One day Muhammad started having doubts about his revelations. In response to these doubts, Allah commanded Muhammad to go to the people of the book, Jews and Christians, for confirmation. Surah 10, verse 94. But if you, O Muhammad, are in doubt as to what we have revealed to you, ask those who read the book before you. Certainly the truth has come to you from your Lord, therefore you should not be of the disputers. Muslims today act as if the Quran stands in judgment over the Bible. Since the Bible contradicts the Quran, Muslims assume that the Bible must be rejected. But in the Quran, it's exactly the opposite. The Bible stands in judgment over the Quran, and Muhammad himself could only confirm his revelations by checking to see if they line up with the scriptures of the people of the book. Since Muhammad continued preaching Islam, he apparently never took this test very seriously. If he had gone to the people of the book in search of confirmation, he would have been forced to reject the Quran because the Quran puts Muslims in an inescapable dilemma. Either Christians have the inspired, preserved, authoritative Word of God, or we don't. Those are the only two possibilities. If we have the inspired, preserved, authoritative Word of God, Islam is false, because Islam contradicts what we have. If we don't have the inspired, preserved, authoritative Word of God, Islam is false because the Quran affirms the inspiration, preservation, and authority of our book. So if the Gospel is the Word of God, Islam is false. If the Gospel isn't the Word of God, Islam is false. Either way, Islam is false. By affirming scriptures that contradict its core teachings, Islam self-destructs. Muslims who don't want to believe in a religion that self-destructs will therefore need to find a new religion. 
Let's encourage our Muslim friends to obey the gospel as both of our religions command. So I, I hope that uh, commentary by David Wood was helpful to you. And uh, I will be linking in the description of this episode of the Street Fishing Podcast uh, the link for the video that that audio came from. I want to make sure I give proper credit where proper, proper credit is due. And uh, so you can also go and, and uh, watch that video. There are some graphics uh, and what have you as... Uh, as he spells things out that I think are helpful. And he's got a lot of other videos on there on apologetics regarding Islam that I think will be helpful to you. I think it's a good resource. I've been availing myself to David Wood's ministry for a number of a number of years. And when you go to his YouTube channel, make sure to make sure to watch the video on his Christian testimony. Pretty extraordinary. As every Christian testimony is, right? Greatest miracle God has ever performed, and I mentioned this to Hassan, is that he takes a heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh, that he that uh, he brings life to dead bones, that he causes people to be born again to a living hope, and gives them the assurance of eternal life through faith in Christ. And he did that in David's life, as he's done in mine and, and others, but uh, David has a pretty compelling testimony, and so I'd encourage you to encourage you to listen to that uh, as well. You know, uh, much of the conversation I had with Hassan centered around assurance. How do you know? How do you know if you're born again? Um, How do you know if you've repented and believed? And as I admitted to Hassan, it may sound circular, but really the way you know if you've repented and believed the gospel is that you will repent and believe the gospel, and you will continue to repent and believe. Uh, I heard it put in that most simplest form uh, many years ago by Paul Washer. Maybe some of you, if not all of you, are familiar with with him, with Paul Washer. And I thought that was the most succinct uh, and uh, understandable way to put it. Now, certainly for people who are so focused on needing to do something, needing to work their way into God's good graces, as Muslims are, as Roman Catholics are, as Mormons are, as Jehovah's Witnesses are, uh, then the idea of simply repenting and believing, uh, being enough for one to have assurance of eternal life, and not looking to their performance, as I mentioned to Hassan, but looking to the cross of Christ, that rings hollow to many unbelievers, especially those who have been enslaved in false religions like Hassan was in Islam. Uh, But nonetheless, it is true. Uh, Our assurance as Christians comes from the reality that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope, and the first fruits of that salvation are repentance and faith. And it is fruit that will continue to bear similar fruit. If we repent and believe the gospel because God has caused us to be born again to a living hope, guess what we will continue to do? We will continue to repent and believe. Jesus said, 
those who persevere to the end will be saved. And, it, and he wasn't saying that if we persevere to the end, then we will be saved. He is saying that everyone he saves will persevere. So if someone is a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, they will repent and believe. They will continue to repent and believe. Uh, one last thing, and I'm going to keep the chalk talk kind of kind of short today. It was a long conversation, and I really wanted you to benefit from uh, David Wood's wisdom uh, in that important apologetic regarding the uh, authenticity of uh, God's Word as described in the Quran, of all places. Um, but I want to leave you with this. Look, if, if you've been listening to the podcast now for the last several months, granted, we're only on episode number 18. But if you've listened to all 18 episodes, uh, you've heard the same gospel preached 18 times. Now, the gospel may not be received in the same way by everyone. I think you've seen that bear out in the different episodes of the podcast. But we present the same gospel to everyone. And we should never tire of hearing that same gospel over and over and over again. Uh, as Christians, we ought to be proclaiming this one and true, uh, this only gospel to ourselves every day of our lives as a reminder of what God has done for us through faith in Jesus Christ. In those moments when maybe our faith is waning, when maybe we are looking in the mirror wondering, am I truly born again? When we catch ourselves looking to our performance instead of looking to the finished work of Christ on the cross, those are times when we ought to be proclaiming this one and only, this true, this life-giving, authentic gospel uh, to ourselves. And so if you're out there on the streets and uh, or wherever you might be, and you're actively engaged in proclaiming the gospel to lost people, you're going to hear the same words coming out of your mouth every time. Well, that's because the gospel never changes. But the people in front of us do. And so while uh, you may be hearing it coming from you for the umpteenth time, remember the person in front of you might be hearing it for the first time. And so every time you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Try to do so uh, with uh, the love and conviction and care and concern for that person in front of you as if you were proclaiming the gospel for the very first time. Because, again, to that person in front of you, that might be the case. Uh, with Hassan, that was likely the first time he ever heard the entirety of the gospel proclaimed. So I hope this uh, edition of the Street Fishing Podcast encouraged you. Hope you learned a thing or two about uh, Islam. Uh, I hope there were a couple of apologetic tools to add to your evangelism tool belt. I hope you were encouraged by simply hearing the proclamation of the gospel. All right, we are out of time. And uh, I will look forward to seeing you next time on the Street Fishing Podcast. So until next time, dear friends, let's go fishing.
We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. The Street Fishing Podcast and Tony Miano's daily street evangelism efforts are ministries of Grace Fellowship Church in Davenport, Iowa. Grace Fellowship is a Reformed Baptist church that subscribes to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Visit the church's website at gracefellowshipqc.com. That's gracefellowshipqc.com. And for more information about Tony Miano's street evangelism ministry, including books, articles, videos, and audios, visit crossencountersmen.com. That's crossencountersmin.com. Until next time, and until the nets are full, let's go fishing.